Welcome to Think Bible, the podcast that exists to challenge, edify, and encourage Christian women to think and live biblically, all for the glory of God. I'm your host, Stephanie Smith. Well, here we have come to the fifth and final podcast on Psalm 84. I'm Stephanie Smith, your host today on the Think Bible Podcast, and I'm so thankful you've chosen to join us. I've mentioned it before, but I have so enjoyed this study. It is a rich, rich treasure, and I'm thankful that God led us to it for this time. I pray that it's been a blessing to you, too. We're going to read the psalm together one last time. Psalm 84. How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts! My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Yea, the sparrow hath found an house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house, they will be still praising thee. Selah. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the ways of them, who, passing through the valley of Baca, make it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Behold, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of thine anointed. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. Well, last time we had covered two-thirds of verse 11. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. We looked at how we need both the sun and the shield. As Matthew Henry said, a sun to supply us with all good and a shield to shelter us from all evil. We talked about the transforming power of God and the glory he appoints to us as we grow in our walk with him. And even this, amazing as it is, is not the end of the promise. Verse 11 concludes with this statement. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. What, you may ask? What about healing my child? What about allowing me to lose my job? What about that time my wallet was stolen? Or our house burned down? Any number of other things that you may have considered good that were either lost or denied. Or maybe bad things that actually did happen to you. How can God say he will never withhold anything good? What about all those good things I want that I still don't have? A beautiful house, a life of comfort, good health, plenty of money, so I can give to missions, of course. 
we might say that we don't believe the prosperity gospel, but in our secret hearts, we sure wish we could. Here's the plain and simple truth that can be hard to bear sometimes. God is not so concerned with your happiness as he is with your holiness. If you don't have something which seems good to you, then either you're not walking uprightly or your definition of good needs to change to match God's definition. This is true for me too. If I don't have something that seems good to me, then either I'm not walking uprightly or my definition of good needs to change to match God's definition. I'm reading the book New Morning Mercies by Paul David Tripp this year as part of my daily devotions. Today's reading was so relevant to this topic, I feel like God just dropped it in my lap specifically for this podcast, so I am going to share a larger portion of it with you. But it addresses this exact issue. If God promises to hold, withhold no good thing from me, then why don't I have... And you can fill in the blank. But listen to Mr. Tripp's thoughts from his book, New Morning Mercies. If you are not on God's redemptive agenda page, you will end up doubting his goodness. I'm going to read that again because it is so profound. If you are not on God's redemptive agenda page, you will end up doubting his goodness. Here's the bottom line, and this is directly from his devotion book. Right here, right now, God isn't so much working to deliver to you your personal definition of happiness. He's not committed to giving you a predictable schedule, happy relationships, or comfortable surroundings. He hasn't promised you a successful career, a nice place to live, and a community of people who appreciate you. What he has promised you is himself. And what he brings to you is the zeal of his transforming grace. No, he's not first working on your happiness. He's committed to your holiness. That doesn't mean he is offering you less than you've hoped for, but much, much more. This means that often when you are tempted to think that God is loving you less because your life is hard, he is actually loving you more. The hardships that you are facing are the tool of his exposing, forgiving, liberating, and transforming grace. Isn't that a rich quote? And that points us right back to the first part of verse 11. God is both a sun and a shield. In scripture, good means whatever provides benefit, welfare, or prosperity. And God is looking out for your good, your spiritual good, not your temporal, really won't satisfy your heart anyway, good. In his wisdom, he knows what is best for you and for me in the long run, in that eternal picture. Not only that, but as we submit to him a little bit at a time, he gradually changes our hearts and our desires so that we long for him 
rather than the earthly trinkets that steal our attention, our time, and our joy. And that takes us back to verse 7, where the ones who walk with God and pursue him go on from strength to strength. And in verse 6, when they pass through the valley of Baca, or weeping, they make it a well, a fountain of blessing. Truly, we can believe and proclaim with Paul, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And what is God's purpose? It's to make us more like Jesus in our desires, our motives, our actions, choices, words, and our thoughts. We really are to be little Christs, Christian. So once we understand God's definition of good, how can we walk uprightly? This type of walk is demonstrated for us by two Old Testament characters, Enoch and Noah. In Genesis 5.24, God says, And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. God rewarded Enoch's holy walk with himself by bringing Enoch to heaven, requiring him to go through the valley of death first. And just a few chapters later, when God looked for anything good on the earth, he chose Noah to preserve mankind during the flood. And this is what he says, sorry, Genesis 6, 9. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. Other translations use the words righteous or blameless. Noah was a righteous man and blameless in his generations. In the New Testament, the essence of walking uprightly is called walking in the Spirit. That is, allowing God to direct your steps and your stops, being submitted to his will, and following the command that he gives in his word. Basically, it's doing what you know God wants you to do in every situation. And guess what? None of us can do that apart from God himself. He is the power behind those choices, actions, words, and motives. We must be indwelt with the Holy Spirit to live in this manner. So, no good thing will he withhold from them who walk uprightly. Are there other passages of scripture to support this promise? I'm so glad you asked. Psalm 34, 8 through 10 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Easton's Bible Dictionary reminds us that lions must have been prevalent in ancient Israel, for they are mentioned so many times. But the picture here is that lions are known for their strength, courage, and ferocity. It would be rare for a lion to go hungry or to lack food, because they're predators, stronger than their prey. They take what they need, and God designed them to be able to do so easily. Yet it would be easier, the psalmist reminds us, for a young, 
healthy, strong lion to go hungry than for those who seek the Lord to go without any good thing. And Matthew 6.33 confirms that, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. What things? Well, the author had already been talking about raiment to wear and food to eat. In Philippians 4.19, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. No good thing will God withhold from those who walk uprightly. We could say it this way. No good thing will God withhold from believers who are submitted to his leadership and seeking his ways above their own. And remember what Paul David Tripp said. God has not promised us a lot of things that we think are good. No, what he has promised you is himself. What could be better than God's presence? His comfort, protection, guidance, leadership, help, and more. He is the good thing that he will never withhold from us. And now the conclusion of the psalm, the author again invokes God by the name Lord of Hosts. This is the fourth time in just 12 short verses that he has used this title for God. He wants to emphasize it to us, his readers. It's important to recognize God has the power to do all these things he has promised, and he is big enough to do it for each and every one of us, for all of the hosts over whom he is Lord. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. Do you trust in God? Do you find it hard to commit yourself to him? I did a quick topical study of trust, and here's a list just from the Psalms about those who trust in God. Here are some of their prevalent characteristics. First, they know God's name, Psalm 910, and they that know thy name will put their trust in thee, for thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. And Psalm 3321, for our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. If you know God's name, you'll know his character and his nature, and those give you reasons to trust him. Second, those who trust God know God's mercy. Psalm 13:5 says, but I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. Psalm 32.10 Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. And Psalm 52.8 But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. Without that mercy... Where would any of us be, damned to eternity, apart from God? But praise him for his mercy that has brought us salvation. Thirdly, those that trust God know God's track record. Psalm 22, 4 and 5 says this, 
Our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. A theme in the book of Psalms is to rehearse the stories of Israel, of the patriarchs, of going into Egypt, of slavery, of God's deliverance, of crossing the Red Sea and eating manna in the wilderness, and finally, of coming into the promised land. Do you know the stories of how your parents or other believers trusted in God? Those stories, those testimonies, bolster our faith and give us fuel to keep trusting God even when the times are hard. Read those Bible stories. Read missionary stories, old and new. Tell your story to your children, your grandchildren, and anyone else who will listen. Talk of God's trustworthiness often. A fourth characteristic of those who trust in God is that they know God's song. I thought this was an interesting one. Since I'm a musician, I especially love scripture that talks about music. But God gives his children a new song when they become his. Psalm 43 says, He hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. And God even has his own song for his children. Zephaniah 3.17, one of my favorite scriptures. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. Can you picture a mother or perhaps a father cradling their baby and singing to them? What a precious picture that is. Now imagine God cradling you, singing to you and about you, and giving you a new song too. A fifth um, characteristic of, of those who trust in God is that they know when to trust. Psalm 52, 8 says, and we read this once before, I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God. When? Forever and ever. Psalm 56, 3, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. And Psalm 56, 11, in God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. How about Psalm 62, 8? Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. And Psalm 112, verse 7. The righteous shall not be afraid of evil tidings, his heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. When bad news comes, when you are afraid, when you are threatened by others, really any time is a good time to trust God. And the last characteristic we'll look at for those who trust God is that they know God's word. Psalm 56, 4, In God will I praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. 
in Psalm 119.42, So shall I have wherewith to answer him that reproacheth me, for I trust in thy word. No matter what situation you may find yourself, God's word always is the answer. When we trust that word above all other things, we will be blessed. God has promised us that. I'm a little bit sad that we've come to the end of Psalm 84. My heart is full as I reflect on all the lessons God has confirmed in my heart through this study. What has he shown you as you've listened each week? It would be a blessing and an honor to me if you would share those things with me and with others. While I try not to focus on numbers, I do want Think Bible to have a far-reaching effect on Christian women. Would you consider sharing the website, the blog, and the podcast with your family and friends? I'd love to see you share the link on social media or talk about what God is doing in your life and heart and invite others to join us here. As always, I'm praying that God will use these meager offerings to challenge, edify, and encourage you to think and live biblically, all for the glory of God. You've been listening to the Think Bible Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Smith. Please visit us at our website, www.thinkbible.online, to learn more about our ministry or to take advantage of the resources we have there for you. That's www.thinkbible.online. You can also find us at Facebook. Instagram or Twitter with the name Think Bible. Until next time, let's all think and live biblically for the glory of God.